family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor and this is the moment of truth. Today's briefing was largely prompted due to some of the responses that I had seen in regards to the last couple of videos. It seems clear to me, at least from where I stand, that a lot of you had seen what happened at Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday. And as a result of that, some people are feeling rather low, but I don't like some of the things that I've been seeing that have been posted. So consider this to be something of a gut check. Today's briefing is about moral cowardice. And while this may seem like something that only affects other people, people outside of the black empowerment sphere, you might want to think twice. It's very easy for us to identify and call out the Raphael Warnocks and the Akons and the Stacey Abrams, mostly because these chumps are walking advertisements against themselves. But we have many more than them to worry about. We even have some people like that here. A question that everyone should be willing to ask themselves and should not take offense if someone asks you is whether or not you're built for this. Now, that sounds like a simple enough question, but it's not. I'm going to offend some people, but this needs to be said. We all know how Raphael Warnock brought Jim Crow Joe Biden into Dr. King's church. The congregation certainly knew that this abomination was going to happen beforehand, and not only did none of them do a thing to stop this perverted spectacle from taking place, but when Biden showed up, they all stuck around, clapping, singing, smiling, not showing the slightest displeasure at his presence. Joe Biden, the man who railed against busing, who was mentored by and praised rampant segregationists, the same people Dr. King was fighting against, the same Joe Biden who publicly said he wanted black children to be kept away from his children, and who voted for and even wrote laws specifically meant to target the black community, that Joe Biden was allowed to set foot in Dr. King's church. And not only did the so-called pastor not check Biden, the congregation didn't have the decency to turn their backs on him either. What a disgrace. You had a pastor who let the devil himself into the house of God, and the congregants didn't have the sense to walk out. Not only that, but they're all jolly and singing and smiling because this wrinkled-up racist Joe Biden visited their church and made a campaign speech. Raphael Warnock is a moral failure. Problem is, his parishioners have proven themselves to be no better. Yes, the congregation at Brown Chapel AME Church turned their backs on Bloomberg. At least some of them did. But here's my question. How many of those parishioners who didn't stand, who didn't protest Bloomberg's presence, complained of the ones who did? Because you know that's what happened. Oh, what are y'all doing? Standing up? What's wrong with y'all? Y'all didn't need to do that. Y'all should have just let that say. Y'all should have just, just held to peace. Now, here's a question for you. Would you have been the one to stand and turn your back on Biden had that been you in that church? It's when you're put on the spot, when the white supremacists are standing right in front of you, that you discover if you're built for this. See, when Roland Paul Martin had Richard Spencer sitting in front of him, and Spencer asked how did Roland identify himself, did he identify himself as a black man, Roland Paul ducked, dodged, bobbed, and weaved around the question. And he's the same fool who will tell you and me about how he's been begging for a white media job. I mean, uh, how he's spent so many years being a journalist. Oh, he's been in the trenches. Oh, y'all don't know how hard he's fought. He's right. We don't know largely because we don't see him fighting. Well, we don't see him fighting white supremacists, though he does spend a lot of time fighting us. 
So from the pulpits to the pews to the pumps on my evening cable, we're surrounded by people who claim that they're down for the struggle, who talk a good game about the need for a revolution. But the second it comes time for them to make their stand, they run. Now, before we go any further, let's be clear about something. When I say black empowerment, we're talking about the black grassroots, and we're not saying that if you're involved with the church or the mosque or any sort of organized religion, then you're part of the problem. That's not what's being said. That's not the case at all. We have a lot of people here who are Christians, Muslims, Hebrew Israelites, and everything else, and they are also with the program because I see their comments, and a number of them I know informally. While it's true that religion can often be a barrier, a lot of the people you see here in this black empowerment sphere have proven that it doesn't have to be. And that also goes for when we're talking about non-DASFBA black people. See, we got a lot of tethers and bootlegs around, but we also have a lot of family from the four corners of the planet too. They see the problems and they want to be a part of the solution. That's part of the reason why I make it a point to mention the names of some of the contributors with every video. It's as a reminder to everyone that we have a number of people whose names are clearly not DAS slash FBA. We've got sisters and brothers from the motherland and elsewhere whose involvement goes well beyond just posting a comment. We'll continue with the moment of truth in just a moment, but first, a word from the official sponsor of Black Empowerment, Power Tools. There's no telling when something's going to come up, so make sure you carry your power tools at all times. You never know when you're going to need to bring the hammer down, or when you'll have some trash that needs to be blown away, or some obstacle that requires cutting down. Don't get caught empty-handed. Keep your hammer close by. Keep that leaf blower at the ready, and always carry your steel. Power tools. Because no matter what your day job or side hustle may be, there's no excuse for not being ready to put in some work. See, we got a lot of black folks all around the globe who see the problems just like we do. They understand that the heinous disrespect that the tether class has shown to us is also the same backstabbing that they did in their home countries as well. The loyalty system that the Africans and Caribbean family need is thoroughly underlined by these tethers doing these dirtbag moves. That's why I mentioned how the white media wants to copy black people's accomplishments and contributions to the culture so that ultimately they can claim they did it. Now, they've already pulled this stuff with music, and they've done it with inventions created by black people. The tethers are an invention of white supremacy themselves, so of course they also imitate their masters. The point that I and so many others are trying to make is that anti-black racism will not be crushed unless and until we leave it nowhere to hide. And the reality is the enemy has long since established a safe haven for anti-black racism inside of Africa and the Caribbean of all places. We're talking about lands where black people are the majority and are allegedly in control of the government. But the distribution of resources in those places is every bit as bad as it was under the Europeans shows no signs of changing. We have to distance ourselves from people who lack the revolutionary spirit. And tragically, those people are very much in the majority. That's not meant to discourage you. It's simply meant for you to be realistic about the situation that we're in. There's not going to be a quick and easy fix to this. To overthrow white supremacy, we're going to need rock ribs, steel spine, fire-breathing, black empowerment soldiers. Watered down, lukewarm, only talk black when some white supremacists hurt your feelings. Those are people who aren't really trying to slay the beast. 
those are people who lack the revolutionary spirit. I'm not going to tell you to make a New Year's resolution about this because everyone's already supposed to be doing it. So I'll say to give yourself a gut check every once in a while. The people who want to overthrow white supremacy are not as numerous as the people who claim they want to. The talkers far outnumber the doers. But as we've seen so many times, when people are put on the spot and they have to show whether they stand for justice or if they go with the herd, too many of them will say moo and mosey along with the rest of the bovine. Yes, we are a special people. That's due to our actions. The reason we're simultaneously feared, hated, and envied is precisely because of what we do. Revolutions don't just fall out of the sky. They have to be born and nurtured and protected until they're strong enough to shake the world on their own. Not everyone has the revolutionary spirit, and we shouldn't waste any time with those who don't. The defeatist, the off-code, the lazy, and cowardly, and apathetic they have no place among us. The old saying is true, attitudes are contagious. And when we have all these people running around with attitudes that only empower the enemy, I don't want them around me. The only thing they can do is teach us how to lose. Each and every one of us is supposed to be a one-person freedom-fighting cell for black empowerment. Be sure to keep your eye on these backsliders who don't have the revolutionary spirit, but also keep an eye on your own behavior just to make sure that there's no bad habits that have creeped up on you. Though the very best way to make sure you don't lose your revolutionary spirit is to be actively doing things to promote the revolution. And that's an excellent deterrent in and of itself. Because the only thing these fakers, frauds, phonies, and fools fear more than white supremacist disapproval is work. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Melvinia Miles, Chaz, Ranji, Maurice Soul, and Jean Floraval. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Time to prepare. Brought to you every day here on Full Spectrum Survival, only on YouTube. <laughs> China is said to be absolutely furious. The Indo-Pacific Alliance, <laughs> that's countries that include South Korea, Japan, the United States of America, Australia, and other Western allies, they're warning that growing military tensions that have been brought into the world solely by Chinese aggression, as they call it, over the disputed island chain that Japan refers to as its own regional waterways, this has fueled a friction that they say is leading to the allied group being directly in the crosshairs of war. What has China furious is that because the USA has such a strong maritime footing in the region, allied nations are allowing a buildup of weapons and manpower that will position the US and other Indo-Pacific allies for war in the near future. This includes the recent announcement that the military for the USA will begin stationing upgraded Marine Corps units. These units will have capabilities to fire anti-ship missiles against China from inside of Japan, a move that the U.S. says is aimed at deterrence only. Leading U.S. and Japanese officials have each announced never-before-seen cooperative military agreements. 
warnings from military strategists say that this is just the beginning. This is going to end, but it's not going to end well for the soldiers on the front lines when this war finally happens, <laughs> one strategist. According to the Defense Secretary, Lord uh, Lloyd Austin's recent confirmation, the revamped unit is being called the 12th Marine Littoral Regiment. It is set to be equipped with advanced reconnaissance capabilities, as well as intelligence and data gathering capabilities. <clears throat> These actions, they say, will bolster deterrence in the region, according to Austin. It allows the U.S. to defend Japan and the Japanese people more effectively in an increasingly challenging security environment, according to the USA. Austin calls the unit more versatile, more mobile, and more resilient than ever. Now, a Marine littoral regiment is seen by China as a difficult to find and destroy unit that has specifically been designed to operate with allied nations in and around coastal Chinese waterways. The unit is said to consist of up to 2,000 service people. It will be uh, armed heavily with naval, uh, Navy <coughs> mounted on top of unmanned variants of joint flight tactical vehicles. China says that it should be obvious to the world that it is the USA and U.S.'s allies that are pursuing aggression in the uh, South China Sea, and it is not China. They say China, in its own words, only works to deter aggression and de uh, defend its territorial integrity and sovereignty. Now, it's important to note that the U.S. military believes that this new unit, which is replacing the 12th Artillery Regiment, will be more lethal, more agile, and more capable as the country works to uh, work together with Japan in deterrence of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. What we've seen from China in recent years is an effort to undermine the long-standing status quo that maintained peace and stability for decades, according to the United States' Blinken of the U.S. government, who warns in an open warning against China's ever-increasing rounds of military in uh, intimidations in and around Taiwan. This, of course, includes incursions of record numbers of nuclear weapons-capable bombers that are flying into what the West sees as Taiwan's air defense zone, or its air defense identification zone. Military watchers say that the Chinese push for control in the area are all a part of the Dragon's efforts to establish a new normal, one that quickly favors China's military and China against the Taiwan Strait. A recent admission of events, according to U.S. military commanders, says that we are leading into a time of war. We have seen recently the Japanese Defense Minister Yasakuza or Yasakazu Hamada has said, using overt defensive language in description of China's militarization, that at this moment, China poses a, quote, unprecedented and greatest strategic challenge to the U.S. and Japan alliance. Amada expressed concern about enhanced military cooperation taking place between China and Russia, an explicit reference to the Chinese-Russian live-fire naval uh, exercises that took place within the last 30 days. Now, things are happening so quickly between Russia's designated fight against NATO after the Russian president warned that 
Europe is now working at the behest of NATO and NATO's alliance and no longer in the interest of the rest of the world. After warning that the European Union is now being seen as a uh, vassal or a holder of land and notes, sort of like a mortgager in the USA for allied NATO groups, we are beginning to see the next stage of this crisis becoming clearer. This is after the signing of a joint declaration in which two organizations, the EU and NATO, pledged to deepen their cooperation in response to Russia's continuing conflict in Ukraine. Now, in that declaration, as we reported here just a couple of days ago, together in a joint admission of planning and readiness, NATO and the EU both agreed that, quote, today we are faced with the gravest threat to Euro-Atlantic security in decades. Russia's brutal war, NATO and the EU said, on Ukraine violates international law and the principles of the UN Charter. And then they pledged to, quote, take our partnership to the next level. This was in response to growing threats and challenges, much in the same way that China and Russia have promised and pledged unyielding support for each other's nations in the death of the old world order, in the rise to power and growth of what China and Russia say, uh, say is a new era, a new financial world order, and a new watcher over the events of our world. Now, of course, Russia's foreign ministry spokesperson has stressed that these changes confirm the complete subordination of the European Union to the tasks of the North Atlantic bloc, which they say is an instrument to guarantee the U.S. interests by force and military if necessary. She said the Europeans face the inevitable fate of being an American vassal, losing their positions in world politics and economics, and falling into increasing dependence on Washington with every step. You know, they're not wholly wrong there. We have seen recently that the uh, European Union and member states there have said that the Put America First campaign brought forth by the current administration for the United States of America is just that. It puts all European countries on the back burner, and we actually see scrambling among world leaders because globalization is all but over. Now, warning that no country is immune to social erosion caused by the lack of affordability and availability of ba uh, basic necessities, Clint, who is a risk management leader for continental Europe, is part of a group of people warning that the entire world as we knew it is about to come down to a crushing end. This doesn't mean that your life will end claims one data scientist looking yeah, over the information that was given to these organizations. What it means is that you will experience negative change. No one ever says that the end of the world when they mean that things just got a whole lot better. What they mean is that every stable platform that you once knew, one of them, or maybe even all of them, would come crashing down without much time for you as an individual to act. Experts around our world are looking at the planet's general cost of living crisis. This, they say, is the most severe short-term risk to unrest at a social level. They say that continued high prices for necessities like medicine and food, as well as inflation, continues to affect the average person, and this will show true 
and new vulnerabilities in households and in the minds of the many, with a not-so-cryptic warning to political leaders that the odds of civil unrest, that's your protests, that's your riots, they are increasing every single month. Gina says all it takes is one month and one spark. She's one of the data scientists. We have looked over data from past months, social media posts, news reports, and official reporting outlets before every major social crisis. And there has always been that one time, she says, that one event that added the general sentiment of the people in the street. And it was that one last straw she warns and fired. Everything gets lit. Political outlets around our planet are saying that business executives, together with members of government and those at university levels, are all warning about a darkening world outlet, or excuse me, outlook. One that is constantly battered by ever overlapping and sometimes intersecting crisis events. This is the stuff of fiction come to life, warns one of the reports as they look at the uh, visibly rising volatility and depleted resilience of people in the face of continued systemic shocks. In its annual survey of risks that was published recently, the World Economic Forum, ever the forum against the people, found that more than 80% of respondents expected either persistent crisis events or multiple shocks over the next two years. At best, they said, this would lead to divergent trajectories for countries and at worst, it would trigger catastrophic worldwide outcomes. Natural disasters and extreme weather events are being seen as one of the greatest risks. This is followed closely by economic warfare, a failure to mitigate oncoming uh, or coming up climate-driven problems. They say this is part of a poor, uh, polarization issue with society. Environmental concerns, they say, dominate a 10-year time horizon. And they want that insurers are adjusting their models because of this. Now, we note here at Full Spectrum Survival that you can visibly or easily acknowledge that climate does matter. But what we do acknowledge here is that the top 1% put the most, uh, the worst dent into our world's carbon emissions. And they'll never stop. But they will tax you to death so that you will. They will change your life so that you stop. And they will make your life a living hell so that you can bear the brunt of their burden. But we also note here that uh, world events are cyclical, that you can have times of warming and times of cooling without much change from the human. You can have one volcano erupt and that changes everything. And it seems like that's a time of change that we are coming into. It feels like we are heading toward much, a much slower and more disorderly transition, Scott says, noting that Russia's war in Ukraine has quickly pushed leaders to prioritize access to uh, gas and oil at the expense of what they say is scientifically necessary. Now, these surveys, which come ahead of the world, uh, they came ahead of the World Economic Forum's Davos meeting, they are based on responses from more than 1,200 experts in various fields of academia, including business, government, and civil society. Clint says that businesses are starting to guard against interconnected compounding risks that will prove costly in the future. 
forecasting in the area of a poly crisis, they say, is a very difficult exercise. The World Economic Forum's survey put interstate conflict as a major risk that has worsened since the start of the biological threat. At that time period, they see Russia as one of the largest threats to our continued safety at night. Now, China just reopened a threat to attack Taiwan. It warned that foreign politicians who interact openly or through economic cooperation are in doing so playing with fire. That's directly from a spokesperson for China's Taiwan Affairs Office, who warned last week that China, the world's largest growing nation economically and militarily, was newly recommitted in this year, 2023, to safeguarding the sovereignty and territorial integrity, as well as, as she put it, smashing the plots of Taiwan independence. The malicious support, they say, for Taiwan independence among anti-China elements in foreign countries are a deliberate provocation, the spokesperson uh, Ma Zhaoyang said at a valuable news conference. We call on the relevant country, she says, to cease sending these signals to Taiwan independent separatist forces and cease playing with fire in the question of Taiwan. Now, if that doesn't sound like a script directly out of a fiction movie in which the next scene brings us to a large global catastrophe driven by war, I don't quite know what is. China's state-run Global Times newspaper put out a warning of Taiwan, uh, their affairs office, warning that Taiwan's succession is doomed to fail, that its independence is an act that is waiting to be published, excuse me, punished. The release read that the Taiwan question is China's own business, and any attempt to split Taiwan from China will not succeed. Taiwan's succession is doomed to fail. And China relies on foreign forces to halt these near-war actions. Independence, they said, will be punished. That was a uh, post published just a couple of days ago to any separatists looking to fight for Taiwan independence. Now, things are getting really bad. One economist who is looking over data showing that debtors in the USA, Americans, are piling up credit card debt in amounts that they have never seen before. And in warnings to those involved, things are going to quickly prove very costly for these debtors. We hope that debtors' prisons don't become a reality. According to the data, the average credit card user in the USA is carrying a balance that, according to TransUnion, went up 13% from the year 2021. What is the most concerning thing, says one economist, is that the recent increases in credit card debt usage are not based on services or goods that are not considered essential by the user. It's everyday items. Things that people are charging go up with inflation that have outpaced uh, people's incomes. More people than ever before are relying on credit cards to cover everyday expenses. They say contrary to the popular opinion, it's not a vacation, it's not a new television, and it's not a shopping spree. That's senior industry analyst Ted Rossman of Bankrate.com. It's usually something pretty practical that gets people into credit card debt, but unfortunately, it's easy to get into and very hard to get out of. From one individual, Mel Murphy, 
It was Mel's rent that quickly uh, took up two thirds of her income. She's a part-time custodian. And with every increase, there was very little room left for other expected and unexpected expenses to come up. Mel says, every time my minivan would all of a sudden need $300 worth of work, or I would have a pet emergency and it would go on a credit card. Murphy, of course, is not alone. Bank of America's CEO, together with the CFO, have both warned recently that more and more people are using credit cards for everyday items. They are starting to see fewer and fewer debt payoffs. The share of credit card users who carry a balance has increased by 15%, up to 46% from just in the 30s a year ago. That's according to Bankrate, and we expect that to shoot up another 10 to 15 percentage points soon. Almost half of credit card holders are carrying debt from months before, Rossman says, and that debt is as expensive as ever. Lower income holders are more likely to carry a balance, but even among people making $100,000 per year or more, almost 40% of them are not paying off their credit card debt at the end of the month because they can't. I want to get to a couple of viewer questions here before we wrap up today's uh, news broadcast. The first question is very important. It comes to us from Unpopular Truth, a long-standing member of the community. Unpopular Truth says, what should we do if the Undertaker is unavailable because the S has hit the fan? The reply was from Google's cat. says, photograph the deceased. Keep all records of care. Bury them outside or cover them with, with rubble and mark the spot. Google says eventually a coroner might be interested in this. So keep careful records of care, the medicines they were given, with a view to having to defend it to a police officer. That is very important for an individual to think about. Gary Pearson says, my wife and I rely on farmland for retirement. We don't farm it, but we rent it to a farmer. We are concerned about some of the new restrictions and increasing operational costs as well as rising taxes. What are your thoughts about farming being in the crosshairs? I absolutely think that a goal of the larger oligarch group is to definitely make farming illegal or just price people out of it. Make the cost of farmable land so high that individuals cannot purchase it. Then make the cost of fertilizers, the cost of seeds, and the cost of lawsuits for not using things like a Monsanto seed so high that the average person doesn't want to do it. This is, of course, so that they can control the market just like they have monopolized every shopping store, every pharmaceutical company, and everything else about our daily lives. Daryl Wagner says, question, do you have any information on emergency dental care? Daryl, dental care is going to absolutely suck in a long-duration emergency. It's going to be dangerous for the people providing emergency dental care as well. Those individuals and their outlets will be targeted. Why do I think that is? Because we saw it happen in Syria, and we see it happening right now in Ukraine. The people who are providing any sort of care to individuals on an individual level are targeted by one side or the other. Now, what can you do at home? There isn't a lot because without numbing medication, you're going to, and, and 
not just numbing medication, but knowing the dental blocks, knowing which nerves to hit so that you don't numb the wrong part or cause permanent nerve damage, including paralysis, you're going to have a hard time of it. That isn't to say humans haven't been through teeth rot and gum disease and all sorts of other dental emergencies in our past. But what it is, is an admission that we have lived a very cushioned life where every little toothache sends us into a doctor or dentist who gives us a nice little bit of numbing medication. They've even come up with a topical medication so we don't even have to be little babies and feel the prick of the needle into our gums. And then we don't feel anything as they work on it and make everything better or extract the uh, tooth in question. So given a long enough emergency, we're definitely going to have a problem here. The best thing that we can do is preventative care right now. If you know you have an acid reflux, check your pH in your mouth using pH test strips. If you have a pH that is more acidic than it should be, then you of course need to get that under control now. You probably also have erosive dental disease. If you uh, have something that needs to be taken care of, like a cavity, it's better to get it taken care of sooner than later. Now, given a, a long duration emergency, you are likely going to be able to still find dental care because let's face it, people are still going to work at call centers, at banks, at uh, bakeries, everywhere in Ukraine. It's just fewer and fewer people are dodging the bullets and the missile strikes to get there. But people are still doing it because the mortgagers won't let the mortgagees get off just because it's a war. They'll come take your home if you don't pay your bill. So people will still go to work. It's just getting into a dentist's office might take two, three, four, six weeks. They might not have the care that you need. You have to think about what you can do at home. There are lots of natural, I won't say remedies, but care products for dental problems. If you have a crown come off, you can go get some temporary filling to put on top of it. If you have a cavity that is exposing your root to the air, so you breathe in and you're feeling all sorts of uh, tingles and pain and issues, or you have pain on hot, you can put a, a temporary dental adhesion on top of it. That's like a temporary filling. The problem is if you put that over top of uh, dental decay, you're probably going to need that tooth to be pulled if you wait a long enough time to get it taken care of. So what could be taken care of very easily right now with a small filling will likely become a whole tooth extraction or something worse. So you need to think about those things, but I definitely have those dental fillings, temporary fillings in my house. A lot of them have things like clove oil. Clove will, of course, numb the root. Now you can do other things to numb the root. You can uh, suck, you know, put on a piece of garlic right on top of that area. That garlic is going to provide an antiviral and antibacterial property as well as numb the root given enough time. Now, I went through a period of my life where I was uh, very, I didn't have very much money at all and a lot of dental decay. I had acid reflux. So when I tell you to get your acid reflux under control, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, and I got just maddening dental decay. would brush three times a day, brush after every meal, floss didn't matter, cavities. And this happened a lot of my family as each member had either recognized or unrecognized acid reflux. So until I got that under control, I kept having dental problems. And I got to the point where some of my toothaches that sticking a fork underneath the gum line, underneath the tooth to hit the nerve was less pain than what the nerve was giving me otherwise. It's not fun. And people will get to the point where they pull out their teeth themselves, but they introduce all sorts of problems. Luckily, 
our mouth is one of those positions, just like all mouths of all creatures, uh, at least creatures with teeth. But our mouths are in a position of being constantly exposed to uh, germs and uh, viruses and everything else. And so they're quick to heal themselves. It's one of the toughest parts of our bodies when you have an exposed wound. People can look at what people do. They split their tongue. They do all sorts of manly things inside of their mouth. They wear grills all day. Uh, you know, they pierce their tongue. And the tongue usually heals. We have a great ability to heal inside of our mouth. But that's not to say that people who are pulling their own teeth won't be exposing themselves to the potential for something like sepsis to take place, which is where you get basically disease in your blood. And it kills you quickly. So take care of your mouth. Do it now if you can, and be prepared to do it later if you have to. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, all of our members on Patreon. Check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 to get a discount there and watch out for new products that they're putting out for antibiotics that you can use, like if you have to remove a tooth. If you're interested in long-term food storage, once you've shilled out for big sugar, big rice, big flour, big salt, and big everything else like I have, big canned chicken. Now you can be a shill for other dehydrated or long-term food. Uh, NutrientSurvival.com forward slash FSS gives you that access to long-term food storage that still has the nutrients kept inside. Use the code FSS15 and you're going to get 15% off. But most of all, everyone, keep watching what is happening in our world. Love your family, hug the people around you, stay safe, and keep watch. All make garbage, and humans throw out 2 billion metric tons of it every year. But some of us, because your family immigrated here at a later time, you owe. Because you're part of the government that owes. And you saw what was going on and you wanted to be a part of that. So you come and inherit that debt. And that's how that works. And then there were people talking about, well, why don't you guys go after individual families? And it was the United States government as a whole, as an entire entity that had us enslaved and legalized the slavery. And we couldn't get out of slavery because of the federal government. So it is the government. No. We're, we're making it real plain. We're not going to let them wiggle out of these bad faith conversations. I see a few people in here. Let's get on Chris, though. He was in the conversation. They kind of wiggled you out of there, Chris. I'm going to get you in here. Well, let me get Chris in here because um, he was in the conversation. What's up, Chris? Chris, what's going on there? Christopher the Warrior. Hey man, um, so I just actually just wanted to come in real quick because I I I just got done driving like three and a half hours. I'm kind of white, but I saw you in that space, and um, I know you did a long space with uh, a gal I co-host with, Monica Matthews. I think they you guys did a pretty long space, from my understanding, way back. I wasn't in that. Yeah, you know, I had a bunch of claims I had to do, but um, you know, first of all, I wanted to just tell you I appreciate you because this is kind of like the first or second time I've heard you. Have conversation and just in a very civil way, of course, your, your points. Um, you know, I'm not going to necessarily agree with a hundred percent of what you say or, or most people in here, um, uh, you know, politically speaking, may you know, may or may not how they feel. I don't, 
is irrelevant to me. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, right. but, um, and I think that's because I used to be a Democrat and, you know, I grew up in the inner city and I, and I've just seen the failures that have taken place for 60 years under their rule. Um, and so my question I had for you was a genuine question as it related to the trans aspect. Um, the other question I wanted to ask on a follow up, but you know, the nun was slapping wrists, yeah, and banning emojis, and yeah. who knows what the hell. Yeah. I was like, like, what is going on? Yeah, you put yeah. an emoji up, she throw people out the room. It was, it was sort of, you know, I, I don't even know what I, I've heard her in other spaces co host. So I was like, I know Phenom, and you know, she she has her beliefs. I, I just was like, I sent her a message. She would send me an apology message. It was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, hey, it's all good. Like, I asked her to bring me up because. I, I, I was going to go to bed, but I saw you in the space and I wanted to ask you two questions. I got to ask you the first one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second one I wanted to ask you, um, <clears throat> I'm a claims adjuster. When I was in Florida, they had this, in my opinion, it was an amazing program. Um, it was a public-private partnership called the PACE program. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with the PACE program. Are you familiar with it? Have you heard of it? I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. No. Okay. So it, it started... Uh, here's the deal. It, it, it started as it, it's in Florida. It was in Florida. I don't know if it's how much it's changed because, like, the big banking industry went after it, like, balled out after it, right? And the reason they went after it was because it was a public-private partnership with county with county um, assessors and collectors, and it actually provided loans um, to uh, any house in those approved areas meaning like they if the county passes it was like let's just go ahead and say lee county florida or wherever they fill in the blank right um any house in that county could get approved for it and the thing i loved about it um was that it did not require any um, in, um income guidelines like minimum income guidelines it didn't have a minimum credit score and it didn't even have a debt to income ratio um, and I think you could probably understand why the big banks wanted to kill it. <laughs> it didn't have a, a you know uh, debt to income ratio factor, and more importantly, it didn't even go on their personal credit. So what it actually did was it used it they, it financed based on the equity of the house at like five percent to six percent interests, um, and it was like a twenty year note that you could you could pick like a five, ten, fifteen, twenty year note, and of course, you know. The um, smaller payments were the 20-year notes, but you could pay them off, you know, if you're responsible, like any other loan, you pay it off in advance, you know what I mean? Um, and so, but the point is, is it went to fixing roofs, fixing siding, windows, HVAC systems. And so as a claims adjuster, um, I loved it because I got to see people who were denied claims. Uh, I used to be a contractor before I was a claims adjuster. But let me, let me, let me, let me, let me. So is this, would you consider that like a form of reparations? So I don't, I don't, I don't, I personally think one of the greatest wealth transfers. So first of all, let me just say, I agree with a lot of what you're saying about the history. I just want to get clear about that PACE program, because see, that's a problem. A lot of times people point to some of these programs, that's a lending program or a housing repair program. They're, they're doing something like that in Illinois right now where they're um, um, allocating resources for housing, fixer-uppers, stuff like that. And they're saying that it's reparations, and that's not reparations. We gotta be very- No, I don't think it's reparations, okay. not at all, okay. no. 
I, in fact, I, I'll, tell you, I'll take my first mistake on this. So what happened, I have brain cancer. I got terminal brain cancer. I wasn't supposed to live past November 2021. Right, right. Um, but when I came back from Florida, that's when I, and I moved back to Missouri, um, that's when um, I had brain cancer. I had going to brain surgery and stuff. So I couldn't drive, but um, I, I was going past all my old neighborhoods, uh, my old neighborhood I grew up in. Right. In like every urban area, right by downtown, prime spot with all this gentrification and these liberals, you know, that are um, updating the downtown and stuff, right? Those properties are going to be worth a lot of money, you know, and, and they're intentionally assessing them at really small amounts unjustly through redlining and other things, right? Like we can, like we, I think we all would agree on. And, um, and so what I, when I found out that that was available in Missouri, in Kansas City and St. Louis in particular, um, you know, I was ecstatic and I went, and I went all out to try to save it. The big banks killed it by the way. Um, but I went all out to save it because for me, I think one of the, given the history that we have in this country, Jim Crow and all those things, right? Um, one of the last true major assets that the black the black community in particular, and also even some of the Latino communities have, are these prime locations to downtown, right? Where they're all fixing up in all these major urban areas, you know? And, um, and so what I saw, but one of the things I think you see all over the place are these these houses that are beautiful that have just fallen apart and worn down because you can't they're not gonna, folks aren't going to give the banks aren't going to give black or brown people a loan you know to fix a twenty thousand dollar roof right and um, you know because they're going to have minimum income requirements and all these other things and it's going to be very difficult for them to get approved for a whole host of reasons I think we we can agree on. Um, and this pro this program was a game changer, you know. I had a lady that I had a I had a lady who was a ninety year old woman, um, foundational black woman. Her son lived in her house with her grandson. The house had a roof leak; it caved in. But because of the age of the roof, the insurance company denied her. Okay, okay. Right. So, let, so let me address some of this. Stuff. Thank you so much. I, I got on that explained that he'll go on and on. But let, let me let me address some of that stuff. See, the thing is. It's not about the dilapidated housing because a lot of black look, look, let's be very clear. Most foundational black Americans do not live in dilapidated housing. That's a myth. Most of us do not live in squalor. Let's be very, very clear. I'm going to say this again. I want people to, you know, I didn't, the guy was going to explain it. Let's be very clear. Most foundational black Americans don't live in dilapidated settings. We don't. Foundational Black Americans are fundamentally very clean people. We're very clean people. We don't live in shacks. And you know, you might find a hood rat here and there, or a dusty Negro here and there. No, no, no. But for the most part, our dwellings are going to be clean. Our clothes are going to be clean. The way we keep ourselves, we always keep ourselves up as foundational Black Americans. You go to your grandma's house, your grandma's house, and she's a foundational Black American. I'm not talking about your grandma who might have been on crack or something. I'm talking about a real OG grandmother. Grandma kept the house impeccable. Grandma always used some of money to keep the, the house looking presentable. So we, we this whole thing about dilapidated dwellings that's going to depreciate in value. Look, 
there's black people out here who own nice homes and um, the white supremacists are trying to finesse them out of their homes. I know black people who got beautiful brownstones out there in New York and Brooklyn in particular, and they're doing little slick stuff to try to finesse brothers and sisters out of those beautiful million dollar homes that has so much value. They do little tricks to us to try to finesse us out of our property because of our race. All right, let's not play these games. Let's not talk in circles. When we start owning property and those properties have value, all of a sudden we start getting nuisance abatement laws popping. Just like out here in LA, you have a lot of black businesses out here who get hit with nuisance ordinances. They'll send some fool out there to harass the building or commit a crime in front of the building. And I'm, I'm kind of going through that now, by the way. The minute we announced the museum, all of a sudden these random hostile people hopped up. Yet that's not random. That happens all the time out here. That's what went down with my brother Nipsey. All of the stuff going down at his shop, that wasn't random. When it comes to black people owning property and getting the equity from that property and the compounded resources from that property. The white supremacists come up with very devious ways to thwart that, all right? So this is why we're confronting the problem head on. I'm not doing that whole going through a loan program and then the program is going to be run by white people and they got to just, no, no, no. Just give us our money directly. That's where we're going with it now. You see, we will we'll stop all of this talking in circles. How about this? give Foundation of Black Americans our money directly, and then we'll make it do what it do. You ain't got to start no program, no little um, loan or housing fixer-upper give up. No, 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 no. We're done with all that. Just give us that paper. We'll fix the house up ourselves with the money. How about that? You see? Because, see, like my man who just called up, he's a claims adjuster. See, when the, the so-called reparations goes through all of these programs see that's going to give white people a lot of jobs so the white people are going to be the loan officer the white people they're going to be the assessor the white person is going to be the clerk that approves it so that gives them a lot of jobs too so that everybody has to peel off what's supposed to be made for us i, I ain't with them loan programs damn alone well, I mean, this ain't about no loan because when we were enslaved, y'all weren't, we weren't loaned, we were owned. So give us something that we own, our money. I don't want to loan nothing. Give us the money back. We generated money. It was foundational Black Americans, like I told them Karens, that built this country exclusively from scratch. Oh my God, why would you say that? Because it's true, Karen. Other people built it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Other people didn't build nothing. That's why y'all were over there in the slums of Europe. You didn't build anything. You came over here, you jumped on boats because y'all saw something that was built by Foundation of Black Americans and all of that wealth that was generated from our free labor that enriched this country. Point blank. Nothing else enriched this country except our free labor. Nothing else. And everybody came over to benefit off that. You didn't build it, you benefited from it. We're going to tell history correctly. You're not going to sit here and try to lie in real time. 
because that's what they were doing. They were trying to lie in real time, and I kept correcting them, and they kept getting flustered and frustrated. And then the one woman, the main host, she was like, well, my family came over here with wealth from Iran in 1985. And I just hit her with, if y'all had all that wealth, how come y'all didn't use it to fix Iran? Oh, my God. Well, she 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 spit the baklava out of her mouth and just went off. Well, she was like, that is it. That's irrelevant. Well, she almost choked on the baklava. <laughs> oh, she got real testy with me. All right. <laughs> yeah. Why do you keep going on and on? Why do you, why do you keep... Keeping, why are you keeping the conversation going, Derek? Yeah, I'm keeping it going because I'm not going to let y'all sit here and lie. I'm not going to sit y'all sit here and let y'all lie with these bad faith ass arguments. Let's get Brother Lance in here. Let's get Lance in here. Um, Lance Houston. All right, what's up? Hold on. There you go, Brother Lance. Hop on, Lance. Where you at, Lance? All right, uh, right here. Um, so yeah, I was calling to say that I actually agree with you. I was actually listening in on that conversation about, like I said, ended about 15, 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I was listening in and I agree with you that it was a, a very biased conversation. They didn't want to, they didn't want to address your questions. They actually didn't even address the question about, about 1985 from over here from Iran. Didn't want to address the question. Right. Um, but what I, what I want to say is this. I don't know if you brought this up in, in that conversation, but I want to talk about the law. I want to talk about the 14th Amendment, you know, and, and how, you know, if she's able to come over in 1985, what's the mechanism she's able to come over right. in 1985 is the 14th Amendment. I don't know if you brought that up or it was discussed. Yeah, I didn't bring it up yet, but because, you know, they kept cutting me off. She kept muting me and, you know, trying to reprimand about it's her space and whoop-de-whoop and, you know, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a very good point. See, when people talk about coming over here in 85 and all of these things, you, you were able to come over here and become a, a citizen, specifically because of the foundation of Black Americans. That's another thing. I don't know. See, fam, listen, FBA fam, we got to start checking folks with, with history and facts. See, a lot of folks, that's, this is why yeah. they try to rewrite history. Yeah, there you go. They to the fact that you can come over here and become a citizen, that's specifically because the foundation of black Americans. Look at people like William Nesbitt and people like that. The Octavio. Look up these names. These foundational black Americans who actually died trying to implement the 14th Amendment, which they succeeded. That was a black grassroots effort. I want y'all really understand that. So this is why we get offended when people like Akon come over here, benefiting from the 14th Amendment that our people fought for, giving this person the right to come over here and live and eat and, and, and prosper. They come tell us that we need to get over slavery. And it was black people during slavery or right after slavery who was fighting to put the laws in place that gave the blame. We're not gonna do that. You're not going to disrespect down in the basement or when you're over here, let me get back out to my house. You understand? We gotta check that stuff. What did she jump Did y'all see the video of the Asian Jamaican woman? 
guys that I put on my own thing earlier. Down there trying to turn. Did y'all see that? The Asian Jamaican woman. The woman is an Asian woman in Jamaica telling black Jamaicans that if you ain't over there, you ain't really Jamaican. The audacity. And now people want to cry thousands. Warning y'all. We were telling people, hey man, y'all better watch these people coming over there appropriating your culture. That's gonna go bad for you. And they will point the finger at us, telling us to shut up, nigga. If Adele and Chet Hanks want to indulge in our culture, you American nigga, shut up. I was good that I'm about to say something. We'll shut up. Let you do you. We were trying to warn you. That's all right. Y'all remember that whole Adele thing when Adele was walking around with the Jamaican bra with the, the, the bikini on, and we were like, "Hey, man, hey, Jamaicans, this 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 is gonna go somewhere. Y'all don't want it to go." Oh, shut up, nigga! Shut up, nigga! Up my class. There's nothing wrong oh, with no. her wearing that. Oh, okay, all right, all right. All right. Y'all better listen to that. We trying forward. to tell you we 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 trying to pull your coat. We know how to get that. Stuff. We stay abreast of how these First. folks get out. We know how they'll come in and swoop no. in and then just take the culture and, and flip it and then kick uh, you out of it. So uh, we, we try to pull your coat here, tell us to shut here. up and get out your business. And then when uh, the the Asian woman tells you guys, hey, y'all need to go. This is an Asian woman in Jamaica showing all of her passports. Yeah, my mama is from here. Just yeah. a minute ago, Jamaica is not an African nation. One nation, one people, whoop, whoop, and some of you blacks who ain't over here, you were born somewhere else, you come over here, you gotta leave and go back to where you came from. I mean, she was talking bold. Sounding like a full colonizer. You see? What's up, brother Richard? Richard Sudan. Shout out to my UK brother. You understand what I'm saying? So, folks, man, you, we better understand history and understand the game out there. Let's get Robin. Pop in, Robin. Let's get Robin in here. What's up, Robin? Robin, you want to turn the microphone on now? I'm so sorry. Hey. I, I I haven't done this before. Okay. Hi, Trey. I was in the other space with you. I don't know if you remember me. No, I, I I don't quite. There were so many of you in there. But go ahead. Yeah, I I never spoke. Okay. But um, I you know my family were slaves for Muhammad. Do you know who Muhammad was? Um, was the Prophet Muhammad? Yes. Okay, so they were yes. slaves going back to the fourth century, the fifth century. Yeah, we were slaves. So. Um, and we escaped. And? Um. Who was? Um, how do you trace your family back to the fifth century, ma'am? Okay, I, I can trace it all the way back because we escaped from Mussolini. <laughs> do you know who that is? Okay, so how does Mussolini and, and Muhammad all tie in? Um, well, because Muhammad took over all of Europe. You know that. Where's your where's, where's, where's your family from now? I I'm from Europe. What part? Um, and, and, I'm, I'm Scandinavian. Okay. I'm European and um, Italian. Okay. Sounds so like an I, I am not white. 
Oh. Italians are not white. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not. Okay. No, Italians are not white people. So you're Scandinavian and something else. What are you? Scandinavian. Uh, Scandinavian, European, German, and and Italian. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so Italians are not white. Oh. You know that, right? Right. Got it. Yeah, Italians are not white. You know what they call us, and I hate to tell you. You know, I heard you say the word, and. and and I was appalled by it because I don't say this word. Uh, I heard you say the word curve. And I was never allowed to say that word. Well, you just said it now. So you, well, and, it, and it rolled off your tongue pretty easily. And it rolled off your tongue pretty easily, man. It rolled off your tongue. But I was only saying it. I was repeating you. Because we don't say that. Yes, you we, do. We it, don't. It, that rolled off your tongue too smooth, ma'am. So yeah, you no, can... no, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. I heard it from you. No, you've never and heard me. You've never I, heard I, me. I was, I was, I, I actually, ma'am, you've never heard me use a word with a hard R like that. You've never heard me say that, ma'am. Ma'am, are you a white supremacist suspect? Miss Robin, turn your microphone on, ma'am. So, I actually drew my head. Back when you said that, because I was like, no, he did not need to say that. Yes, well, you drew your head back to eat a Rice Krispie treat because you're a white woman. That's what you drew your head back to do, ma'am. You are a white woman, a full-blooded white woman, ma'am. That's what you did. Go ahead, turn your microphone on, ma'am. No, sir, I'm not. Yes, you are. I, I'm not a full-blooded white person. Yes, and I'm not prejudiced. And I love all my countrymen, and I love all, all races. And you also love lasagna, and you love tuna casseroles because you're a white woman. And there's nothing Actually, wrong with that. And, and there's nothing. Actually, I don't because I ate too much of But Italians are not white. Um, well, you're classified as white. Yeah. I am Sicilian. Right. Well, ma'am, you, you said you're about 15 different races, so. Um, no, I said I'm here. I am German, mm -hmm. Italian, and I'm Dutch. Right. So, ma'am. That's what I am. So, either, um, well, ma'am, either. Would you give me a so chance? Either you're making up ethnicities, or your mom was the biggest European hoe in the world. She was just going around banging different dudes all around Europe. If you got that many ethnicities in you. That is not true. Would you give me a chance? How do you have the many ethnicities? Sir, would you give me a chance? Okay, ma'am. Let me, okay, let, let, let's get to the point. So how, I, 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 I want to talk about the referendum. That's what I want to talk about. So how do you feel about it? Thank let's you. Let's get on to it. And I don't have a problem with them. Got it. Okay. And that's why I came in here. Um, I, I totally agree with you on a lot of your points that you made and therefore I, I i'm not here to disagree with you or argue with anyone right but you um, agree with reparations you do agree that we should get reparations right i do good, good, i good, do good. and i i think i should get reparations for what from muhammad but he's no longer here right Muhammad is no longer here. Muhammad didn't so do anything. Well, Muhammad didn't do anything. Muhammad, you can't trace anything back to Muhammad. And if you wanted to get something from Muhammad, what government is being um, influenced that's still around around Muhammad's time? What government is still? Muhammad 
Europe. Europe is not a country, it's a continent, it's not a government. Right, but at the time, it, he was over Europe. Not really. And not really. But he wasn't over Europe. So yeah, he short. was. He, he, he conquered Constantinople, which was Europe. Lord. <laughs> and policy in this country, ma'am. It wasn't a... Seriously? Yes, ma'am. Yes, it was. Can you explain no, Yeah, yeah. Um, Whites-only signs, white-only jobs, white-only neighborhoods. That was reparation for you. Oh, I wasn't born then. Oh, ma'am, 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 you sound at least 60 years old. You were definitely born during Jim Crow, ma'am. I, I was born in 1964. In 54? The 64. Okay, it sounds like 54, but yeah. No, I was born in 64. 64 so I was born during uh, the, the the fight over Vietnam. Right. And in 64, there was still a little Jim Crow thing going on. There was still some stuff going on around. Uh, but I was a baby. That's not fair. Your parents were, were benefiting from the Jim Crow, and they were passing down those benefits to you as a baby, man. So you benefited from that. No, I was never to say the N word. I was never allowed to say the N word. Ever, ever. You ever. just said it. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> I said it because I was repeating right. you. No, no. And let me ask you this. When you were in college in the the eighties, late eighties, did you date you date yes. black guys in college? I did. Uh, I can tell. I can tell. How can you I, tell I can that? tell. I, I just know. Um so, oh, how did your family? How did your how, how did how did your family feel about you dating the black guys in college? Had no problem whatsoever. Okay. We were from the north. We were from the north. Okay. Had no problem whatsoever. Okay. So, do you think that your vagina was reparations to those black men? Absolutely not. I think you think that your vagina was a form of reparations to those brothers. Absolutely not. And, and by not. proxy, you think that we should be happy. As no, as as absolutely not. <laughs> That's not fair. Um, I wouldn't do that to them or myself. Uh -huh. Okay. That that's so wrong for you to I'm say. I'm saying. So those brothers that you were laying up with, um, do you think they should get cash reparations? I think that they should. Um. The men that I dated were very, um, how can I put it? Um, they, they were very, they, they were people that wanted to go out there and do for themselves. No, oh, they wanted to go out there. What does that mean? And I encouraged them to make the best of their lives that they could. So they wanted to there. And you know what? They did. I, I, I'm still friends with all of them. 
and they have they have been very successful in their endeavors and um i'm so i i don't know where you're going with that i'm listening to you i don't know where you're going you're, you're talking well they've been very successful in their endeavors oh. i don't know any any black man that i dated that hasn't been successful in what i think that's you know a sample they think it's true. Some of these samples, you, you, they lay with a white woman, and these would be the first ones fighting against reparations. They'd be out here yelling at us. Why y'all talking about it to reparations? These white people say, did that to y'all? <laughs> you did? And you, you tell them, Darnell, that's what I say. Y'all out here making all this fuss, listening to that damn Tyreek Nasheed, that ripped ass nigga. Talking about some reparations. Huh. What y'all need to do is get on out here and start working hard, value the Lord, and leave these good white peoples alone. Well, that's a nigga who got some white coochie reparations. Yeah. Y'all better understand how white coochie reparations is real. Notice a lot of these Karens who be talking and they talk against reparations and they say something slick about it because they didn't gain coochie reparations already. That's the, uh, I want y'all to understand the code. They didn't gain some coochie reparations to some brothers. So they think the debt is paid. No, it's not paid. Pull your panties back up, ma'am. I'm good. I don't want that. We want that cash, not the ass. <laughs> yeah. I want all cash. No ass. I don't want that ass. Give me my money. I, I let some Negroes run a train on me in college. That don't mean nothing. Just like that white woman cop who, uh, <laughs> who had all them dudes running up in her. You, you see? They think they're doing something. They think they're doing something for the community by doing that shit. And I'm telling y'all, man, they really think that that's a form of reparations. Them laying up with us. They think that's something that by proxy they're there. But we're all in the same game. I'm doing this for you. Don't you get the, ain't this what you really want? When you get the money, you don't want this anyway. So let me just give it to you instead of the money. No. No, thank you. No, thank you, ma'am. No, thank you at all. Lord. Now let me get some more people in here. Let me get um in divite in divite. I think that's your name. In in divite. What's up, brother? How are you, sir? Oh, in divite. Hello. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Okay. Oh, the, um, the flags. Uh, where are you from? Um, let me wait. Let me guess. Let me get. Hold on. Is this? Uh, I'm trying to look at these flags. Um, uh, is that Senegal? No, brother. I'm from Zimbabwe. So, how the hell did I know, not know that? I've been to Zimbabwe. Right, so, what's on your mind, brother? How old? I know. Yes, I totally agree with the reparations. They need to happen. Um, even for us in Africa, we need to get our reparations. Yes. One thing I need to say, India's game is on point. 
they have calculated their reparations to 45 trillion and in Africa in a fourth times continent than India, we are where we are uh, due reparations of up to even 150 trillion because of what happened with ripping of cultures, taking off lands, taking off gold, taking our people from the motherland to uh, out in the, into the diasporas and stuff like that. We have been ripped so much, and I believe that the reparations we are due. Your side, you are, you are, you are, you, you, you need your reparations of your yes. side, and we are going to claim our reparations in Africa from the former colonial countries, the Dutch, the British, the all these countries. So do yeah. not, uh, do not listen to the naysayers. Keep marching, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, my brother. My brother, I appreciate you. So that's the kind of African brother that I like rocking with. They're talking truth to power. You know, the, um, my brother Mikhail, they're trying to put some stuff together for me to go out there and do a lecture at a school in South Africa where we'll be talking about how the brothers and sisters over there need to get the reparations popping too. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, if y'all want to get your reparations from the colonial powers, I'm right there with you. That's probably why they don't let me in Europe. Well, not Europe, but um, they don't let me over in the UK no more. Because when I go back to the UK, I want to let brothers and sisters know, hey man, the, the, the Windward generation, y'all were the ones who helped build the UK back up after World War II. So they're going to have to start breaking bread for y'all too. Yeah. It's real out of here. We are not playing. All right, let's get MF Kush in here. MF Kush. Let's get MF Kush in the house. Um, hello, hello, Tariq. How are you? I'm good. What's going on, MF Kush? I'm good. Uh, shout out. Thank you for putting me on stage, by the way. So I was also in that space, and I saw how all these white feminists felt need to try to use their their femininity or lack of femininity to try to uh, direct a, a conversation in a certain way, and honestly try to deflect. Yeah, and, and took lack of accountability. The fact of the matter is this: if we were never here, they would have never had what the fuck they have now. That's just a fact. What? Um, and one more thing, and I'm sorry. And that's another tactic. So what Robin just did? Robin just came up here and tried to basically sympathize. That is not a great thing. It's not working. Just because you went through your shit is not the same thing that we went through. It'll never be the same. She could never relate to what it is. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, she can suck as much blood dick as she wants to. That does not mean that she is one of us. And I land, thank you for letting me speak. Thank you, beloved. All right. All right. That's what it is. That is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and by the way, guys, you know, we're having the FBA um, Expo in Dallas, the FBA Expo in Dallas. Um, May 27th, so y'all need to get your tickets at fbaexpo.com. fbaexpo.com is going to be a phenomenal event. Um, we, the vendors, y'all need to sign it up. It's going to be phenomenal. Y'all need to get involved. fbaexpo.com, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get um, a couple more people. Hold on, we're trying to get some new faces in here. A lot of folks that we have not chopped it up with before. We want to talk to some new folks. Let's see, C. Roy X. It's C. Roy X in here. C. Roy X. What's one o'clock out here? What's up, C. Roy? C. Roy X. Turn your microphone on, man. 
conversation we're not letting all of these other people slip their little old bullshit in there well i was a slave too that now um, my great 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 grandfather was a slave in croatia so i'm a descendant of slaves too no 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 well i, I didn't have a little black cock here or there no 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 no, no. we're not doing that no 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 that none of that counts we're not playing none of those games we, we're not playing none of those Robin games. We ain't playing that. We're not letting you slip in. None of that stuff. You're not going to slip in the back door. You're not going to slip in the side door. You're not going to slip in the bedroom. We're saying no. We're talking about reparations only for foundational Black Americans. That's it. Anybody else included, it ain't reparations. That's what it is, guys. We have to shut it down immediately. When we start talking about reparations, and the minute any penny goes to anybody who's not a foundational black American, it is nullified as reparations. It's another program. Yeah, we'll take that, but it ain't reparations. So we still owe reparations. We got to shut it down. 
one penny goes to any other non-FBA, it is not reparations. Don't let them remix it. Yeah. Let them call stuff reparations. That's not the reparations. Call it out. Yeah. Reparations is only tangible cash benefits for. Yeah, foundational black mom. Americans only. Oh, we're talking yeah, about reparations for slavery. Because that's what we're going for. We're talking about a debt and a specific deed that was done oh, over a specific yeah. amount of time yeah, to a specific world. group of people by a specific yeah. government. We're very specific. Yeah. We're not going to let them yeah. remix it yeah. and make everything vague. Yeah. Talking about whether well, they're slavery yeah. in Libya. She drugged me, y'all. It was saying that in the other room. Yeah, I'm like, I don't give a damn about no Libya. I don't live in Libya. That ain't got nothing to do with me or our reparations claim. But there's slavery over in Bahrain. Who gives a damn? Let them handle it. We're talking about us dealing with this government here. We ain't playing all of that. Look over there in the banana in the tailpipe game. We ain't playing smokescreen games. They love doing that. Deflection. No, no, it's time to break bread. We ain't going for that. It's money time. Well, you guys started hostile. They started getting into, I mean, they were getting into Karen mode. Well, saying that you, you're going to pay, that's hostile. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid when you talk like that. That's Ooh, very hostile and divisive. Oh, they were carrying, they were doing the Karen routine, major. Mm-hmm. And and when one of the white women was like, well, that's not chivalrous by talking over me. Bitch, that's not so- chivalrous. Okay, now we're getting in that. She's about to get into some feminist stuff. Because now that's that's leaking into rapey talk right there. Okay, you're, you're you're talking over me as a form of Negro rape. It's like we're raping me. You know they were about to pull out all the Karen stops. See, that's why we got to get our reparations because we live under the thumb of this white and I say so narrative that you can have us punished based on your insincere words. See, that's another problem. You see, that's why we got to get our paper. We got to get our, our chips. We got to get what's owed to us. And some of the conversations they were trying to say, well, generational wealth disappears over time. You no, know, the hell it doesn't. Generational wealth does not disappear. It White compounds. <laughs> generational wealth increases. <laughs> they kept sitting there talking about that playing the denial game. I don't get any generational wealth as a white person. The hell you don't. The white middle class was created right after World War II. With them giving all of them housing loans and creating them all white suburbs that black people couldn't go to. Those houses still exist. The neighborhoods still exist. What are you talking about? And the houses increase in value, and the value of those homes are trickled down to these families. All the, the benefits that were given to them based on whiteness, it trickles down. It didn't disappear. The Homestead Act, all of this, this free land that all these people got that black people couldn't get after the 1800s, they still own that land. Some economist says like a fourth of white people in America 
are are still living on that free homestead act land. All the big acres of farms and stuff that's all in the the, the Midwest and the West, west of the Mississippi, especially out here in Nevada, Arizona, all these large tracts of land that was given free and they just generationally passed that down. Don't let these people make it seem like they didn't get no generational wealth. The hell they didn't. From the affirmative action program called Jim Crow. Jim Crow was affirmative action. That was reparations for nothing. You were just getting benefits for nothing. This could be white, and whiteness has a monetary value. I've always said this. Whiteness itself has a monetary value. I don't want to hear about all that. My dad came over from the on Ellis Island, and boy, he had $5. He had a million dollars worth of whiteness. Let's stop it. He came over here because he knew that whiteness was going to go a long way. See, we have to frame it in that narrative. Let me get one more person in here. Because it's late. I didn't know it was this late. It is late. Let's get Sean in here. Let's get Sean in here. What's up, Sean? Hop on, bro. Where you at, Sean? You can turn your microphone on. That would be superb. Where you at, Sean? Okay, well, okay. well let me do this while we're waiting on Sean. Let's get um, Valerie. Valerie. Looking at Valerie's profile. Valerie's a feminist. Valerie, I'm this is Sean John from Phoenix. Um, I just don't understand why it has to be such like an argument or debate about it. It was already determined by the government that we were supposed to get reparations. I mean, whatever happened to the 40 acres and a meal. So like all these people now like, oh, with all the pushback, we're just moving forward. You know, it just never happened before Reconstruction and Jim Crow because they ain't shit. But like all this back and forth, it was already determined. We just didn't, right. you know, that's my plan. Thank you, dear. Was Valerie Hopper on there? N O L E E T Y, right? Valerie, want to turn your microphone on there? Valerie, let's unmute yourself if you're ready to speak. Um, hello, can you hear me? I can hear you, Valerie. How are you? I'm fine. I'm calling from London. Oh, there you go. And uh, listen to you. I just, there are two points I want to make. One is that um, I really admire the fact that the United States has led its um, area of reparation and it knows precisely what the cutoff point is and who will receive reparation. I really admire that because when you look at the dysphoria trails around the world for enslaved Africans, um, just briefly, remember that Africans also were were a part of enslaving other Africans. They were a a big part of the enslavement of Africans. But once those Africans got on those ships, those slave ships, and were transported out of Africa, the continent of Africa, and deposited all over the world. Slavery starts from the point of where they were sold 
and transport it either to the Caribbean or United States or Canada or even Brazil, South, um, South America. Slavery starts when they were enslaved in those countries by those governments under their laws. That's where slavery starts. And slavery is not about the 1960s. Slavery is not about the Windrush generation. Slavery is about enslaved um, Africans who left the continent of Africa. Now, what happened between the British and African nations is another form of reparation. But we should not be convoluting every jurisdiction slavery. We should not be convoluting what slavery is, reparation is for the British when they when they when they um, they they enslaved Africans in the Caribbean for to build the wealth of Britain. We should not convolute it with slavery in the United States where they were cotton pickers who built the wealth of whites in the United States, which cannot convoluted with Brazil, which is a which happened with either it has to be the Spaniards because they speak or the Portuguese or one of the, one of the two. I'm not familiar with with their root of slavery, so I'm, I cannot comment on it. But I know fairness. Um, but we should not be, and we should not convolute it with Africa. The slavery that took place in Africa is is another jurisdiction, and this. I get the impression that some people feel this is just one big melting pot, but you know, there's one big pot and everybody's gonna have get out of it. No, it's not. It's not gonna be it's gonna be a hard toll to get reparations. A hard toll. Because even now that we we have always known that the British royal family absolutely built its wealth of slavery. We know from the royal charters that was low. Thank, thank you so much. I have like you're playing it. So great. I got to get a couple more people in here, but thank you so much for that. We were just kind of changing subjects back and forth. So thank you so much. I appreciate you, man. All right, let me get, um, should I get one more? It's sometimes people get a little long winded. Uh, let's get the parlay. Let's get parlay in here. <coughs> parlay, hop on parlay. Waiting on Parley to hop in. Hello. What's up, Parley? I just wanted to um, make a quick few statements. Um, I agree with reparations. I feel like we should all receive payment for the things that have happened. But I feel like the excuses people use against reparations is just to justify their anti-Black racism. Because we know that every other group in this country has received some form of payment for any type of mistreatment they've received, whether it's for their ethnic group, their sexual orientation, everybody else has received some form of payment. And every excuse they come up with for why we shouldn't receive reparations, we've been mistreated. The absolute worst out of everybody is just insane to me. And there isn't a good excuse for any reasoning that they have. So I just feel like we have to be consistent with the fight. I like everything that we've been doing. The reparation rallies, the movies you've been putting out, I just like that we've all been vocal and being on code. 
and I appreciate what everybody has been doing. Don't listen to the excuses. They just hate us. <laughs> that's just what it is. We're on our own, that's and that's fine. That's all I want to say. Okay. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, we ain't done that, though. Uh, that was a good call. But anyway, man, look, uh, I think the conversation was constructive. I'm going to post uh, the the conversation I had with the Karens. That's going to be on my YouTube channel. I'll post that in a minute. So, y'all, follow me on YouTube at Tariq Radio. That's my YouTube channel. Everybody subscribe to the YouTube channel, Tariq Radio. And um, go to FBA Stream dot com and sign up for the FBA stream. That's our streaming website. All of our movies are on there. Buck Breaking, Hidden Colors One Through Five, Eighteen O Four, um, the Christie Puppet episodes, the Bucci Bear cartoons, some of my lectures, and the new movie American Maroon will be on there next month, ladies and gentlemen. So sign up for FBA stream now.